What's up, everything? Hey, everybody. Uh, this is Stephen here coming to you before the podcast to explain what you are about to hear, which is an ominous sign, but it's not that bad. So uh, cheer up and stay with me. Uh, so in this episode, uh, we had um, a few audio difficulties where the audio kind of popped in and out. It's because of a little uh, a connection that had come loose and, and seems to just be sort of permanently loose in one of our cables. So I'm going to replace that uh, before the next time we record in person. But if you will, uh, rather than uh, meticulously edit a two-hour podcast to make sure we caught every one of these, I thought it would be easier to give you a kind of blanket overview at the start if you have if you hear two or three seconds of silence, you know, it's, it's, we know about it and I'm sorry about it, but um, that is what's happening and, and I will get it fixed for next time. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about is obviously you are hearing this tonight, uh, Thursday, probably, or maybe Friday, uh, December 17th or 18th on the night that uh, Alex Dean announced his retirement. And uh, what happened this week was we decided to kind of, record podcasts in advance and we explain all this again later on but i just want to give you the overview and ahead of time uh ian is traveling to texas this week with his new uh fiance and uh seeing her family and so um you know we we knew that it would be hard to get episodes recorded live from him in texas and me here over the holidays everything going on so uh, we just decided to try and record a few in advance and use some more sort of evergreen topics that we could go back to and knew wouldn't just be out of date by the time you all heard them. And so naturally, a massive piece of blues news dropped after we had recorded the first one. Uh, we just wrapped up, as, as I'm saying this, we just wrapped up recording an episode you'll hear next week. And on that week, week's episode, you'll hear a lot of the Alex Steen talk, uh, and you'll get to hear our thoughts on his uh, illustrious NHL career. Uh, but I didn't want it to go ignored and, and make you think that we'd forgotten about him. Obviously, you could have put two and two together when we talk about recording in advance. But uh, Alex Steen is, is really a player that means a lot to me as I talk about this week. Uh, you'll, you know, you'll hear next week. He's a, a player that really is synonymous to me with my Blues fandom. I don't, I don't remember a time when Alex Steen wasn't a Blue. I'm, I kind of came of age as a Blues fan in high school, which, you know, graduated 2009, and he came in the 2009-10 season. So, like, you know, my memories of, of anything before Steen being here are, are kind of foggy at best, to the point that I don't even re really remember his being traded here. Uh, so much as I just remember him being on the team and and maturing and and watching him grow and and the team grow and so it's it's really bittersweet to see him retire. I think we all knew this was coming uh, with you know kind of the rumors in the bushes about him maybe missing the whole season on LTIR. I don't think it's a real surprise. Uh, and he just had a son as well, so congratulations on that. Uh, and you know I don't know if that factored into this decision at all, but with. With that said, it's never easy to lose a franchise great, and, and that really is what he is. I think one of the things that's important to me that I go in more depth on on the episode you'll hear next week is that uh, Steen is truly a franchise great for this team, truly one of those players that isn't going to be um, remembered by the annals of, of hockey history as, as one of the greatest to ever play it, although he did reach the you know very coveted thousand game mark and um, he did, you know, hit that plateau, but, um, you know, he's, he's a legacy player and, and they'll be remembered in those father son duo type things, but he's not going to be looked at as one of the greatest ever. Didn't win a lot of individual. I didn't win any individual hardware really, um, except for a Viking award in 2014 as the best Swedish player 
uh, in the world. Bet you didn't know that that's what it's called, but it is, and that's cool. Uh, so, you know, not not the player that hockey as a whole will remember, certainly not a Hall of Famer uh, by any degree of the imagination, but at the same time, just a player that that really for a decade was a major contributor this, to this team, kind of your Willie McGee, where he's got a kind of outsized legacy with a franchise because of of the both the type of player he was on the ice and the type of person he was off the ice and so we talk a little bit we hope he builds his his family here and and has a career in the in our front office or in in you know at least that kind of Bobby Plager role where he's around the team and and talking to players and things like that um but you know that the contract in the last couple of years has kind of clouded how important he is to this team and we didn't want that to be kind of the picture and the story that was remembered about Alex Steen because he is a, a franchise changing player in a lot of ways. So you will hear all of our Alex Steen talk next week, but out of respect for the player that he was and, and the, uh, you know, importance he had to both of us as fans. I didn't want it to go ignored this week and, and leave you on the edge of your seat. Uh, you can also read uh, my article at the Hockey Writers if you want to on announcing his retirement and hopefully one later on uh, this week, although I've got a, a lot to catch up on right now with, um, you know, his a, a kind of deeper look at his Blues-specific legacy. Uh, but, you know, you'll see plenty of tributes and stuff on Twitter. I just wanted to give ours and kind of explain why you won't hear a fuller discussion of it until next week. But that's where we're at. Uh, you'll get this episode hopefully tonight when I splice it and get it up um, tonight being Thursday or I've lied and it's Friday. We'll see. Um, but then you'll get next episode. I'm, I'm thinking of just targeting Christmas Eve, maybe put it up earlier on Christmas Eve so you can have it all day or put it up the night before. But in any case, that's where you're at. You'll hear those two episodes. Uh, if any major news breaks between now and next episode, I will do a similar to this sort of intro where I come on and talk about it solo and you will listen to me and, and figure that out for yourself. But, um, you know, that, that'll be a ton of fun and it'll just be you and me hanging out. But that's where we are. Those are the episode plans for now. Wanted to give you a preview of all that. And now I will throw it to me through the benefit of time travel for our introduction to this week's episode. Thanks everyone. Uh, Merry Christmas and happy holidays to all of you. And here we go with this week's episode. What's up, everything? The NHL's return to play plan is slowly taking shape, but there are still plenty of questions to answer about the league's short-term and long-term future. We'll answer all of those questions in the negative ahead. Plus, the Blues appointed a guy named Ryan Miller as their new assistant GM. No, it's not that Ryan Miller, but will his reign be equally disastrous for the franchise? We'll discuss it in detail, so let's get started, and let's go Blues! <laughs>
back, everyone. Welcome to the Two Guys One Cup podcast. It is while well, we're recording this on Tuesday, December fifteenth. However, you may not hear it until later this week because we like to dole out the feel goods, and we just <laughs> gave you the prospect pyramid, folks. And Ian, how are you doing tonight? Before, I'm doing great. Before I get started, okay. I'm jolly. I'm holly jolly. Oh well, it's Christmas is almost here, baby. As, mm-hmm. as people will tell by our maybe Christmas introduction or maybe not. I retroactively got as close as I could to the instructions I we laid out for ourselves posthumously for the introduction to the Prospect Pyramid last <laughs> week. And so this week, I'm not laying out any instructions because that was hard enough. But uh, for those that didn't know, Dolly Parton did write <laughs> I Will Always Love You, but was not the most famous performer thereof because that was Whitney Houston performing the version that we played on the podcast. So there you go, a little musical history lesson. Now, Ian, I'm going to start out with a controversial contact topic Mm -hmm. tonight, and that is this. Why do they try and sexualize the green (laughs) M&M? Can somebody explain this to me? It makes me uncomfortable. Uh, Because, like, Look, sex drives sales. That's yeah, what I've been. That's what I'm told. Chocolate now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean that you know that somebody's kink. <laughs> now, was it chicken or the egg? Was it there prior to the green M and M being sexualized, or was it after they sexualized mm, the green M and M? True. They're supposed to be an aphrodisiac. I've heard stories. Heard <laughs> stories. I try and stay away from them myself. You never know. You be in a public place. Why would it be particularly the green ones, though? The dye, I guess, makes them... Anyway, the point is, it makes me uncomfortable. I think we can all admit cartoons are sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Any cartoons. Any cartoons. Really, anyone. Uh, Ash Ketchum, you know, the the classic. But like... Why is it that mini M&M's are better than regular M&M's? That is another thing I'm discovering as I chew on these. These are fantastic. So much better than their larger alternative. I feel like lots of... I feel like almost all of the different kinds of M&M's are better than like the base M&M. Regular ones are only good if you just are eating like a billion at a time just to have something in your mouth. (laughs) I said those words out loud. And you know what? That's how they sexualize the green (laughs) (laughs) M&M. Folks, we're off to a hot start. Talking about candies, and I know we've probably gone on this rant before, talking about candies that do not get better when they change shape, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, it's only the cups that are acceptable, yes. while the pieces are acceptable. Yes, yes. And the, and the, and the like, mini cups, like mm-hmm. the, like the Reese's, not whatever those are called. But you put them in trees, you put them in pumpkins, you put them in bunnies. It's too much peanut butter. Yeah, not enough. Not enough uh, chocolate there. It's just the balance is wrong. Yeah. The shape is wrong. Those crimped edges feel like Paul Hollywood now. Not, not enough crimping along the edges. That was a terrible Paul oh. Hollywood impression. Okay, so on, on the topic of Paul Hollywood, there's this show on Netflix called Sugar Rush. Have you ever seen this I've before? I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. So, like, it's all it's all desserts all the time. Mm-hmm. They do, like, a Christmas season around Christmas, and there's, like, a bullet episodes. But I believe if the Christmas episodes are, like, the regular ones, or vice versa, they do, like, a round of pairs of four pairs of bakers. Mm-hmm. They do a round of cupcakes. Then they eliminate one. Then they mm-hmm. do a round of confections, which I believe is anything that's mm-hmm. not a cupcake. <laughs> um, and then they do the last round is cakes. 
and they do a thing where they time them down they lose time and then like as time goes on and then when they go to the next round they like have that time banked to use for the next thing mm-hmm. um anyways point being they're very nice to these people even when they're not like when they had a thing that fell apart Mm -hmm. now granted these are all like professional bakers versus Mm -hmm. like uh uh, you know these amateur bakers on uh great british bake-off yeah but yeah they'll be like i mean this thing will fall apart in front of them and they'll be like you know you made it interactive which is fun (laughs) and they're like you know it was a little too a little too much salt like i think you substituted like salt for sugar but you know what i I like the attempt and good job and i'm like boo (laughs) i need paul hollywood to go in there put something in his mouth and then stop mary barry and go mary mary it's raw don't eat that mary (laughs) he's he's not even like particularly like mean he's just kind of he's he's very polite yeah he's polite but he's direct He's direct. That's a good word. I was going to say blunt. He's not even blunt. He's just direct. Mm-hmm. But I love, I think the biggest, closest, like, F you he gives anybody is, don't eat that, Mary. That's wrong. <laughs> I, uh, so I've been watching the newest season. No spoilers. I won't give any spoilers yeah. for anybody. But um, it does seem to me that the overall quality of the bakers on this season mm-hmm. is lower than, like, some of the recent seasons. Because mm. there have been some seasons... Especially, I feel like there would be at least one or two like super ringers that are just winning Star Baker left and right, mm-hmm. and you're like, they probably won't win because that'd make the show boring. But they'll be like at the end, they'll be know? like top three. Yeah. Right now, I think I just finished the halfway point. I don't have any clue which <laughs> which five of these losers is making it to the end. But anyway, there was one episode. This is the only part I'll sort of spoil where the first challenge was for them to all make brownies, mm-hmm. and I kind I really liked it because it was like. They were all like, this is so easy. And then they all screwed it up. And that was basically the point was like, they made them do it really fast. Mm -hmm. And so they were testing like their technical more than their like creativity. Mm -hmm. And then they were, they just freaking daggered these people. brownies. That'd be the meanest thing too, where you're like, but I thought it was just a brownie. Like, yeah, it is just a brownie and it's awful. (laughs) (laughs) So that's great. Strongly recommend new season. And also for you, more than anybody else, you know that Dairy Girls show you like, well, they had... Seen I, it? Saw, okay, I saw I saw a clip where they're on there, and yeah. I was like, "Oh, I gotta watch oh, this episode. It's great. It was fun. It was quite a bit of fun." So, oh man, that show's so good. New co-host, new comedic co-host is I'm I'm getting used to his flow. I've seen him and stuff, yeah, but I don't like him as well as uh, what's his name, Noel, is Noel yeah. the guy who uh, has been there. So, anyway, uh, but yeah, Great British Bake Off, fantastic show. If Highly you're not recommend. on the train at this point. What are you waiting for? It's Christmas. This is like the perfect time. It's so warm and cheerful. Anyway, uh, we've got some stuff to talk about this week. As I, as we hinted at the beginning, we'll peel back the curtain. We'll let you know what's going on. Ian is leaving town for the holidays, as you do, especially when you're newly engaged. We've announced that, right? I didn't yeah, I think so. Okay. We're going to walk right over that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just don't tell the people. They don't deserve to know. This is your private life. <laughs> This is my special this day. This is you in a and year. Taylor Swift's private <laughs> life. <laughs> my girlfriend, Taylor Swift. No relation. No relation. <laughs> Two T's at the end of Swift. So she's an accountant. Ah, <laughs> uh, but a beautiful one, you know. So, uh, no, you are going to Texas, and so we will be apart for two weeks. I'll deal with my sadness <laughs> as best I can. Uh, but to get people content, we're going to record two shorter episodes tonight put one out this week and then i will 
take what we record, which you won't hear now, and save it. And then if there's news or stuff to add next week, I'll add that solo. Or if it's big enough news, I guess either you can call in or Justin can call First in. First time caller. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But this week, we'll talk about the most up-to-date news on today, uh, June, June, <laughs> December 15th. Feels like June, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, outside, really. inside, <laughs> um, The sun's high in the sky. We talked a little bit last week about how the NHL has basically, basically said, well, we've got all these big economic problems, but screw it. We're just going to go for it and have the season on... Uh, January 13th is kind of the set target date. Um, what we did not talk about as much, because we didn't know, is sort of the ramifications of the decision to do it that way and not get concessions from the players right now. Mm-hmm. You took these notes. Why don't you walk us through it a little bit? Yeah, like Stephen mentioned, they, NHL and the NHLPA have pretty much agreed that the economic framework... Agreed to not agree. Yeah, they've agreed to pretty much kick the can down the road on like the fr- economic framework and just stick with what they have in like the newly negotiated CBA so that stuff won't change. Uh, they tried to get the players to defer payments uh, and then have like caps on escrow at certain points. And if you were paying attention at all to hockey, it seemed like all the players did not enjoy this. It seemed like there was reports that some players were like, okay, I'm down with that. And some players weren't, but it's a giant organization, the Mm -hmm. NHLPA. So there was, there's no real way to do that. They kind of had to do it for everybody, make these concessions or not. And so as a, as a governing body, they decided not to. And the owner said, okay, fine. And as we talked about last week, I understand the player's point of view on this because mm-hmm. they just agreed to this deal before the bubble in, what, May, June? When was that even? So Yeah, yeah. So June. it's not like this is some ancient contract they're being asked to renegotiate. And I don't get why. I mean, they must have been kicking the can down the road then, too, because it's mm-hmm. not like we have suddenly are shocked that this isn't a full building of fans for that's, this season. That's you what know? blows me away. I feel more for the players because it's like come on, how could you have thought that this was going to be over? Or mm-hmm. that you were going to be, like, getting a, a, your full amount of money, your full revenue that you would normally get in, like, a non, a non-pandemic non season. It just wasn't well, going to be the case. I also feel like for the owners, it's like, okay, you fought for this, and the whole time you were fighting for it, you were losing TV broadcasts that could make you money. Mm. And I get that it wouldn't, like, fix it if they had... 72 broadcasts instead of 56 or whatever they're going to end up with but like that would have helped you know and it's just anyway it's short-sighted go on yeah i was gonna say i know some owners kind of saw it as like they didn't want to have play this season because somehow they're gonna end up losing money versus Mm -hmm. what they'd actually be able to save by not having the season but i think overall if we start to see fans towards the end of towards the end of this into the playoffs and stuff with the vaccine out and everything, they might end up seeing I don't know if I'd call it like a profit, but a profit in terms of what they thought they were going to make this season, they're gonna end up making more than what they thought. Mm-hmm. And so overall I think it's a good idea that they're moving forward with it. Um the one thing that seems likely is the cap will not increase for the full duration of the CBA, which is like six years, I think. Which is kind of bonkers. I don't know if that's like official, official, but they're making it sound like that's pretty much what's going to happen. I could see them so, negotiating something down the lines, mm-hmm. but it seems like 
for for certain the next like three years. So the whole problem here, sorry, I took a drink at an opportune time, <laughs> is that the whole CBA is negotiated so that it's a 50-50 deal. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole idea of escrow, without getting into the specifics, is that basically the NHL players can't make more than, can't collectively make more than 50% of the league's revenue. And since they normally do, even in a good year, they have to pay back whatever 2 or 3% they go over collectively. Mm-hmm. Now, because none of their salaries are changing, but the overall revenue has dramatically changed, they're obviously going to make, it could be as high as 70 or 80%, could be more than that of the mm-hmm. league's revenue. Uh, probably did last season already and will this season at least. And then, you know, in seasons ahead, we'll see how quickly. I, I would assume it sounds like by every, like Dr. Fauci said, maybe even as early as June could be basically back to normal. So, like, you would assume that the next season will start mm-hmm. no inhibitions, all fans, everything is good to go, God willing. But, like, you know, and maybe we will even see some fans towards the end of the year. Like, I don't know if they'll, you know, especially if they're able to, like, hey, you've had the vaccine, you're good to go sort of thing or whatever. I don't know. But anyway, um, you know, it's 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 a huge mountain of debt. And the owners are of the opinion that if this deal's 50-50, then we have to make it 50-50 and you have to pay us the money you owe. <laughs> and uh, the players are of the opinion that, no, the deal is structured how it's currently structured and tough for you that it's not mm-hmm. going to work out to be 50-50 because of what you, you know, because... They don't care. It's like, that's your loss. That's not our loss. We're not taking less money. I have so many problems with this. But I just, I don't, like, okay. I know that if you own something, I I try to understand the owner's perspective. Because I am not unsympathetic to business people. And they want to run a business and make Mm -hmm. the money and and make return on their investment. And I get that. And not everybody is uh, the nutcases who own the Jets where it's like, yeah, we're losing money, but we get to own an NHL team and we're richer than God's green earth, and so who cares, you know? But, like, also, on the other hand, there was a global pandemic, (laughs) and everyone's had to make some sacrifices. And the idea that they would rather essentially damage their sport for a decade, which is what they're doing because they're not going to have stars that are making big money. They're limiting their own exposure. They're preventing players from, you know, growing their brand Mm. and stuff. And then on top of that, this means that there will almost certainly be a a huge lockout at the end of this season. Yeah. Which means that the next generation of players are already screwed. There's some little freaking 14-year-old kid playing peewee in Manitoba who's going to be the number one pick in 2025, and he's already screwed, you know? And um, it's just, I, it just bothers me so much. that The sport always bothers me. But the... NHL's, it just seems like it's almost their goal to stay stuck in neutral, you know, because right. they'll, 
They'll make, like, you know, by keeping the salary cap flat, they will make mo a lot of money back, and they'll figure stuff out, and they'll they'll put ads on jerseys, and I think they agreed to ads on helmets for this year, didn't they? Yeah, I think um, that's going to happen. And they'll put ads on jerseys eventually, and they'll find other ways to do stuff. They'll get a new U.S. TV deal, which if they're... God, they would have to screw it up so much, so badly to not make dramatically more money than that's what I was thinking. Made. I was like, man, you gotta, you got that new deal coming up for your television rights with you streaming gotta, and everything. You gotta really be, focus yeah, on that to make yeah. a boatload of revenue because right now, everything like what is it? They said like 50% of the mm -hmm. revenue is pretty much ticket based, is like yeah. just ticket sales alone. Cool, I'm glad that your fans drive your sport but also that's like pathetic that's though. terrible though that's 50 percent. that means i mean think about what that means for jersey sales and for merchandise and for like you said tv contract like I, that's pathetic I think it just always feels like two I steps forward and just honestly two steps much back of the nfl's revenue is tickets let's see if this returns anything 15%! 15! Now, they're not going to be no, the NFL. Yeah. But you can't get me to 40, 35. <laughs> oh, yes. well, it's The NHL, I just... Sometimes people look at it like they've made a lot of, let's say, like, safety progress with the sport. Yeah. And, like, social awareness progress with the sport, which is great. But as a product, I feel like it's progressed in the way that, like, inflation progresses. You might see... There's a whole nother ball wax, but you might see an increase in your salary every year. That's like one or two percent because they're just matching inflation. And you might go, I'm making more money. And you are. But in the grand scheme of how much things cost and yada, yada, you're not really. Mm. And that's how I feel the NHL goes. It's like the NHL's progressing. Look at all these things they've done as far like as an organization mm. outside of social awareness issues, safety issues, just like as a sport. Look at all the progress they've made. They're on Twitter. They're reaching out to folks. They got like fun new retro jerseys come on guys they've made a lot of progress and it's like it feels like they've just made as much progress as they would naturally make if they just kind of did nothing yeah and i don't even blame batman for this a ton mm -hmm. for this particular case because i feel like this is a case where the owners are just being petty and listen i it's a, it, it was a global pandemic it blows it blows chunks and it sucked for everybody but they could make the decision right now if they wanted to have any, if they were really care, cared about the sport or their future or the long-term longevity of this thing, they could just say, listen, we lost the money we lost. You know, they could even say, hey, can we do X, Y, and Z to, mm -hmm. you know, to even this out a little bit. Not 50-50. We're not yeah. getting there. But can we make it 60-40? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if they just did that now, then we could be over and this could, we could move on and we could fuck freaking have a, a positive next decade of this sport. But now they've cast a pall over the, over the, everything until there's another CBA. This will just be that thing where it's like, just that thing where occasionally Elliot Friedman will mutter something under his breath on 31 Thoughts about how this, you know, this time bomb is coming. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just going to be there. It's just going to always be there. And we're all going to know that there's going to be a strike in 2026 or whenever it is. And we're all going to know that it's going to be a disaster. And I'll... I'll tell you, I've watched some MOS lately. I knew, you know, we've got the other podcast we're talking about MOS. It's coming. 
that sport is coming for the NHL's numbers four spot, and I don't think it's that far away, <laughs> all things considered. I'm sure the viewership isn't there and stuff. You know, I'm sure I'm sure some of that is probably I'm being a little dramatic, but, but like they're, they're expanding the, like gangbusters. The difference between a, a league and I'm, the NA, the MLS is poorly run and has crazy rules and is part of FIFA, but like <laughs> that league freaking is bringing in stars left and right. They're making stars. The guy who was the, you know, basically the player of the game in the MOS Cup, which was their Super Bowl, was brought in by Columbus for like $7 million, which is a huge sum for an MOS team, especially mid-tier. Yeah. And he was a, he was the newcomer of the year, even though he missed half the season with injuries. And he looked like a freaking superstar in this game. I think his name's Zella Ryan. And he looked incredible. And it's like, I don't, I'm barely into this sport but now it's like dude i want to watch that guy mm-hmm. that dude's incredible i want to see how's he doing a second season with columbus like the, i watched that game i watched it with uh as correspondent jordan who isn't into soccer at all and even he was interested you know so it's like anyway i'm, I'm getting off track a little bit but it's like if you just get out of the way right now sports are growing mm-hmm. there's so much interest so many people are trying to get on board with this stuff there's YouTube. You should you should be able to make your sport grow and expand. And you've got young stars and you've got big personalities. And nobody knows who the hell Connor McDavid is. And that's your fault. You can talk all you want about making 50-50 of the Merrimack River-sized profits that you have right now. <laughs> or you can grow it to be the Missouri River, the Mississippi River, and then it doesn't matter so damn much. <laughs> They are only concerned with milking every dollar out of the existing dollars that they have, and they are never thinking about making more dollars <laughs> and just having a bigger pie with more dollars, a dollar bill pie. It would taste disgusting, <laughs> but it would pay the bills. And I just, I just, it's just baffling to me. It's so frustrating to, you know, because we love this sport. We want it to be grow and and be successful I don't know. maybe tom stillman's one of the guys that's like hell no i'm getting my 50 percent." i he might be he's a small market guy i would get it but like it just seems to me like you gotta figure something out and mm. you know if if making 50 percent for every year and you know if if over the course of this cba making exactly 50 percent of the revenue is more important to you than seeing the sport grow or making more money overall, then that's pathetic and sad and stupid, you know? And so, I don't know. I went on. I, I, I really think, went off I think that's, that a little bit. I think that's your answer, though, unfortunately. Yeah, I feel like I a mean, lot of them at the end of the it day just want, just want their money now. Um, yeah, no, 100% they do. And that's really frustrating. <laughs> but It's like we can go to a whole nother, we can go to a whole nother sidetrack and talk about the worldview, but you know what? <laughs> no. no, I mean, it is. It is the worldview because they're just short-sighted and they focus on the here and now and they want every dollar from this second immediately. And they don't care about anything else. And I don't know how you build. I mean, you don't build. You don't build a league like that. Mm -hmm. It's myopic. I got to use that word. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a word that you know. It's a word that's where people use. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) And I'm one of them. Those are one of you. <laughs> it's just, I, I. this is a league that in the last couple years has seen uh, a um, 
expansion fees of six hundred and fifty million and like five hundred million. I'm sure those were split fifty fifty with the players, mm-hmm. though, right? I'm sure that factored in. Yeah, right. Um, and it's just why are those things happening? Because you were a growing, exciting sport that people wanted in their markets. And now you're nothing. Now you're, I mean, I just, I don't know. It it depresses me, honestly, because I want this sport to actually become something. And, and this idea that it's going to become like the magic, you know, the, the sport Mm -hmm. or not even the sport, but just a respected sport that's on par with the other uh, big, big four, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. is just, it's it's a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. So I, it just depresses me. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it doesn't look like in the next, I don't know, it just feels like if they make any progress in the next six years, it could all just be undone by just another lockout mm-hmm. if they insist that they have to get their, their share of the money they lost. Um, and I would hope in those six years they reconsider. <laughs> I don't think they will, but you know. I mean, maybe they'll see a ton of revenue and maybe. it'll basically come even. And That's what I was thinking. Like, could you please go out and just like try everything in your power to make this money back in some other fashion, yeah. rather than just drag your knuckles and be like, "Well, we did, we did advertisements on helmets, and that's what that was okay, and then we just didn't do anything else, and we just demand our money back. We didn't seek any other, uh, any other streams of revenue through the sport. We just said same old, same old. Now where's my money? Because like that." That'll be the death of any progress that this this league makes. Um, with all that said, though, with all that depressing uh, financial talk out of the way, it does seem like the uh, the return to play plan is the next thing to take care of. With financials pushed to the side, nothing touched. The protocols for the 2020-21 season are still being negotiated. Target dates include a January 13th start to the season with teams that did not make the playoffs last season reporting to training camp on December 28th and the rest of the teams reporting on January 1st. I don't really quite understand the like three day difference that they get, uh, you know, really get ahead of everybody on that one, (laughs) but there you go. Uh, no preseason games appears likely. So no exhibition games. So like really the nitty gritty of it is the financial discussions are over. Now the owners and players need to work out and agree on the return to play format so question, Stephen, uh, do you think the NHL season starts on January 13th? Um, yeah, I do. Because here's the thing. The NHL has a preternatural ability. That's a word us smart people. Oh, not me. To, <laughs> to uh, it just literally just means the same thing as supernatural, but seems like just the extra. extra. Oh my yeah. God. Uh, but it has a supernatural ability to just do things. I, I don't know if it's Gary Bettman's, like, just iron-fisted grasp on the nuts of this league or what it is, but, like, they'll say something and it's like, this can't possibly happen, and then it's like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. November 13th. I was going to say no, but, yeah, it is kind of weird where it's, like, everything points kind of to no, or it's, like, so far we don't have any news on, like, are these divisions that they've thrown out the actual divisions, other than the Canadian division, mm-hmm. which pretty much has to happen, um, is it really going to be 56 games? We don't know. Are they going to start by playing in these teams' actual arenas? Seems to be the 
the idea, but it's kind of like, well, we're not sure. We still have players in Europe and in other countries that they, you know, other areas they have to get yeah, back. That, that's a bigger question is they got to pull all these people back. And this is the thing about the Bush-ass, AF-ass, Bush League, Kratos League is pulling us. It's like, you got to actually plan for this stuff. They don't have, I don't know that they have any plan for how they're actually doing testing and tracing. Mm-hmm. And I know they're, they're going to try and get, um, you know, quote unquote, first in line for the vaccine. And honestly, I know people will say that athletes shouldn't get it. I kind of think they should. It's 300 people. Hmm. It's not 10,000 vaccine doses that are going to the NHL. And it's a public service that millions of people enjoy collectively. But anyway, that's a different. Yeah, I get. I definitely get the argument against one hundred percent. But I just also don't care that much, and I want my sports. But <laughs> but anyway, um, do you think there's going to be expanded playoffs, Stephen? Oh, baby, that's yes. another thing they haven't really determined. I but think I'm this sure year it's guaranteed. Be. And then, did you did you listen to Thirty One Thoughts this week yeah, with yeah. Gary's with Elliot's whole acting like it was a mafia sting? Did you? you yeah, the where weird, he's like, it's not going away. And it's like, yeah, we know, because you won't shut the fuck up. Away. I've been told by many people, he goes, I just got a, I just got a feeling. I don't think this is the last we've heard of. Like, yeah, because you talk about it 24-7, dude. I like that. He was like, he was like, don't quote me on that. I don't know. This is just rummaging around in my head. But I'm like, yeah, we get it, bro. Like, I guarantee, like, that's something that I don't want to happen and have already resigned myself to being like of course there'll be a 20 team playoffs of course there will be there'll be a 22 team playoffs or whatever it is where they got wild cards and playing rounds or whatever you want to call it again like i'm sure that'll happen if for sure this season and then once you get a taste of it it's kind of like giving people vacation days at work you can't you can give people floating holidays and take those away because those weren't your vacation days but the minute they give you those vacation days they can't yank them back from you without a lot of resistance so you know what the minute you expand the playoffs those teams that got a little taste that uh that buffalo sabers team that wasn't going to make it that finally does get to make it they are not going to want to be told well next season if you stay around like the same amount you know the same area you're still not going to make the playoffs though people are not going to enjoy that um once they're here i think they're here to stay maybe there's a little blip where they go away and that's an even bigger reason they go see we can't do this anymore we got to go back to 20 or 22 or whatever it is uh we talked about advertisements on helmets that seems like a a thing that's probably going to happen. You'll see a, a Schnooks logo or something. I don't know. An Enterprise. It'll just be Enterprise. It'll just be Enterprise. Like it's easy. It's an easy one. Our friend Gif Jeff uh, did a little mock-up of uh, what these would look like, what advertisers look like on jerseys. Uh, and quite honestly, when I first looked at it from a distance, I didn't even know there was a change whatsoever. You put a little Enterprise thing right on the very bottom. No big deal. Not a big deal. Uh, I think we'll see those eventually. And then, Stephen, do you think fans will be in attendance at any point during the season or the playoffs? Yeah, they'll be there for the playoffs, I think. I think they'll find a way to make that happen. The reason I asked you earlier about Canada's population, which is so small, is I just feel like they'll be able to get the vaccine to people and just have the playoffs out there, I bet. I bet they'll have the playoffs in Canada again, Mm -hmm. where they had them this time, admittedly. But then they'll just be able to fill venues because Canada's got its crap together and doesn't probably have 50% of the population that's like, vaccine for the pandemic? No thanks. So. <laughs> I'll take my chances. Yeah. yeah, that seems fair. That seems fair. Um, yeah, like and like Stephen said, uh, we'll have added news as this goes along. It is one of those things where 
kind of to your point, Stephen, where it just sort of happens. Like, I feel like, I don't know. There's another question. Do you think we get solid news where every, you, you know, they're just going to lay it out one day, all the things will happen. They'll be like, here, it's this many games. It's going to be played here, here, and here. Here's how all the testing is going to go. Here's how many teams are going to make the playoffs. Here's all the divisions. Here's when people report. Here's everything done. Mm. Goodbye. Oh, yeah. It's one, they'll it's just one drop. They'll it's vomit Gary Batman on a webcam. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They've already done minutes. that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you think that happens before Christmas? Yeah. I mean, I think it pretty much has to, right? Because they, the, right. they want the other teams to... Man. I mean, here's the thing. We're, we're what? We're on... This is Tuesday. It's so, so it's going to happen like next week. It's so dumb to me. It's... it's Everything should be in service. Everything that they do right now should be in service to dropping the puck on October 4th or whatever, 2021, with a full arena... Maybe you kick it off with an outdoor game. Mm-hmm. I would do that. I'd try to do two winter classics, essentially. Have a fall classic and an, an autumnal experience, perhaps. <laughs> Welcome to the autumnal experience. <laughs> I've never heard of fall being so metal no, before. No, no, that is definitely a metal name. Um, which reminds me, I well, I guess they can't do concerts. I was going to say, I haven't seen ads for the Trans-Siberian Orchestra <laughs> this year, but I guess they're SOL. <laughs> The TSO is SOL, baby. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, have a big, just make it big and be ready for that and then have a full season and then you're just on track again or as mm-hmm. on track as you're going to be for the foreseeable future. Um, so, like, everything they have to do right now has to be with an eye towards that. Some teams, I feel like, are getting kind of bailed out by this thing. The Blues are a little bit. The Blues essentially are you know, have navigated the Tarasenko injuries and have gotten basically rid of the Steen and Bozak contracts Mm -hmm. or will over the course of this kind of half and half fake season, you know, I mean, they really are getting beneficiaries of it. Whereas like the Toronto Maple Leafs are getting screwed because they signed Austin Matthews to a four year deal. And like half of the contract has been screwed up by this thing. So Mm -hmm. it's just interesting. It's, there's going to be a lot of, you know, we talked about the negative ramifications, but there's going to be a lot of fun ramifications of this. Not, not worth it. Not worth a global <laughs> pandemic. But the way you kind of talk about was like, oh, is that the lockout shortened season? Now it'll be like, oh, is that the COVID shortened? You know, and talk about like different things that happen, and and we'll talk about it with some of our Christmas topics. You know, how that's maybe gonna affect different things. And you know, you could probably I'm I'm willing to bet you see like a wacky MVP this year because it's like, oh yeah. Um, uh, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois had 70 points in 52 games or whatever. He mm. just was on a hot streak. And it's like, yeah, because, yeah, whatever. COVID, <laughs> he got them COVID superpowers. He got a preternatural ability to oh, survive no. during COVID. I don't and like that word. I don't either. It's really awkward. But um, in any case, uh, yeah, I mean, I, they really should be focused on next season. And this season should, as it has always been supposed to be, just be kind of the bridge Mm -hmm. to make as much TV rev and jersey rev, which is why they did the reverse retro and stuff like that, as you can in between. But Mm it seems like they have made it as difficult as possible to me. I don't know. That seems like 2020 in a nutshell. As difficult as possible. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, 
I just feel like this whole season, I just, I want it to get here. And I'm also kind of like, uh, <laughs> you know, like a little bit, part of me is a little bit like, eh, I'm not so sure. I just want it to be over already. Yeah, so I guess the next season. I agree. I kind of want it to get here so we can just kind of get it over with. Uh, and we'll see what, like you said, I'm kind of interested in what the wackiness of it will be. Uh, the wackiness that will be 2021. Um, as a throw to our next topic, though, someone who is having a very good 2020 is Ryan Miller, who has been promoted to assistant NHL general manager. Ryan Miller, Ian? No, no, Stephen. That uh, man still plays. He's not retired. Wouldn't it be funny? I mean, he could be the PTO guy we signed this year. Oh, yeah. Curry. Why not? Sure. <laughs> He's been a fine back. Shits and giggles. Come yeah. on back. Come on home. Come in. <laughs> <laughs> Just show him getting scored on in that fucking hawk series. <laughs> He's been run out of the building uh, uh, with his fucking oh, plain boy, white mask. Guy. The fucking cojones is on that the, man. <laughs> is the Ryan Miller you're talking about perhaps a short, bald, nondescript front office employee? Oh, of course. Sorry. Yes, yes, yes. That Ryan Miller has been promoted to assistant <laughs> general manager. The Blues made this promotion uh, this past Tuesday. Today's what's today? No, Monday. Mon- so this today's Tuesday. Today's Tuesday or Thursday, depending on when you're listening. To Whatever this. day I want it to be. Uh, he is now the new assistant general manager moving forward. Bill Armstrong have filled this role until he accepted the GM position in Arizona this past summer. Uh, Miller on the role said it's an honor to be put in this position with an organization like the Blues, with our rich and proud history. To be named an assistant general manager with a team like the Blues is rich humbling. And brown. You, you can be one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for it. I'm ready to do my best and to help our team continue its success. Miller, 36, grew up in Louisville, Colorado. 36. I was like Louisville, Colorado. Oh, <laughs> that's the wrong Louisville. That's, that's not right. He earned his BA in criminal justice from the University of Dayton. Every word in that sentence <laughs> makes less sense. You grew up in Louisville. The, this new assistant general manager of the St. Louis Blues, who is 36, grew up in Louisville, Colorado, and earned a BA in criminal justice from the University of something near Colorado, perhaps? No, Dayton. Something near Louisville, Kentucky, but not the Louisville he's from. Anyway. He later studied at the University of Denver's Sturm College of Law. Ooh. But his career path would ultimately lead him to hockey, as we figured. Clearly. Uh, the, <laughs> we didn't assume they just plucked him off the bench. They said, you like legal Objection! Stuff. Would you like to raise that objection into a Vladimir Tarasenko contract? We have some shady dealings, Ryan. Could you please no. help us with that? Seriously. He said, the thing I seemed to have a knack for was securities law, financial market regulation, and that type of thing. Ooh, this guy seems like a real He's square. <laughs> he seems like fun at parties. The Securities and Exchange Commission a regional office in Denver that provided internships to students, and I applied for one of those, in addition to applying for an internship at KO Sports, an agency that represented hockey players at all levels. I ended up getting the internship at KO Sports, which means he did not get the other one, of course. This is his second choice. Uh, Who later hired me as their director of hockey operations. This was his safety. Oh, he said after passing the the bar exam. Let me tell you, ain't nobody know how to party like those boys at the Security and Exchange Commission. Woo! Oh, boy. He said before long, Armstrong was luring Miller to the Blues, where he started working as the Director of Hockey Administration in 2010, and he was promoted to the Director of Hockey Operations in 2018. Sorry to interrupt. This guy represented players. 
Yeah. And he did it for KO Sports, and Doug Armstrong lured him in 2010. So what sweetheart deal did Doug Armstrong yeah, right. sign and think, I got to get this schmuck in my organization? Uh, <laughs> so he had been the director of hockey operations. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means, but cool. I'm, I don't know. Is that like, I think that's running... The building? No. That's not, it's not running the business, is it? I mean, I know he did like contracts and stuff. So I guess. I think I read a little blurb that basically said he pretty much did everything aside from being whatever like the assistant general manager does in name already. He was like already doing contracts, already like negotiating stuff, already yeah. talking with players and stuff. Was he scouting? He wasn't scouting. No, certainly not. No, we're taking a big ass bump on that. <laughs> in August, the athletic named Miller to hockey's forty under forty list. <laughs> Hot. A group that include prominent names in hockey, such as Chicago Blackhawks head coach Jeremy Colleton, Toronto Maple Leafs general manager Kyle Dubas, and head coach Sheldon Keefe, and more. Uh, there are higher expectations, such as making sure I'm prepared for looking ahead and planning for what's ahead of us in three, four, or five years down the road, said Miller. In previous, in my previous role, I was doing those things. Now I'll be the one that needs to be thinking about them. Some of the credit when you those things go well and you're also accountable if they don't go so well. He says it's certainly a higher expectation and a challenge I'm looking forward to. Well, you know what? This guy isn't even bald, so that was unfair. Balding, certainly, but not bald. <laughs> Maybe our square will evolve into a real well-rounded circle. Maybe. Is this dude our next GM? Is this one of those things where like Armstrong retires and then it's just his number two? Someone asked JR that on Twitter and I don't think they got a response, but it made me wonder. I was like, is this like is this the I, I mean, hate I hate to say it, Stephen. I ha- I hate using this phrase. We all hate hearing it. But is this guy a GM in waiting? No, <laughs> and that is a perfect transition to our next topic uh, because I don't have a lot of thoughts on Ryan Miller. Actually, no one I mean, does. Good His parents His don't. Parents don't. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, no. Over at the Hockey Writers, the site that I am a writer You founded. Yeah, the site that I built from my bare hands, with my bare hands, from From your bare bare hands. hands. He has no more hands. (laughs) They're a website now, hard to type. Anyway, um... I, Edward, they're doing a 12 days of hockey mess thing, which is a little silly, but fun. And you're supposed to kind of... You really, really is. You're supposed to kind of link a, like... Day 12, 12, you know, Piper's piping or whatever, except you're supposed to do a hockey thing. And so for day 11, I looked at 11 years of Doug Armstrong, which itself is a bit of a stretch because he was hired in 2008. He didn't really become GM until 2010, but we're calling it. He was hired before the 2009-10 season, so this will be his 11th anyway. Or so he's had 11, and this will be his 12. You get it. So anyway. But I thought it would be fun. I went through his career a little bit and looked at the best and worst trades and signings and such. And I thought it'd be fun to talk about it because it has been 11 years. It's been a decade. Is there no question it's been a decade of Doug Armstrong? It's pretty much been our GM. Yeah. You and I as fans, it's our GM. That's right. He's Dougie, or Dougie, Dougie! You gotta do it, Dougie. So, (laughs) uh... Here, let's go through this. Doug Armstrong came to the Blues before the 2009-10 season with the recognition that he'd take over as GM when Larry Plow. Huh? So he was a GM in waiting. Yeah, he really, he literally was. He literally. This is where he got that. That's where he got the idea. Fucking idea. Uh, with go, Larry. the uh, recognition that he'd take over after Larry Plow was done. Uh, 
three captains have served under uh, uh, Doug Armstrong, which would be Eric Brewer, not for long, David Backus, and Alex Petrangelo, and now presumably Ryan O'Reilly. Have we talked about this? There's no question, right? It's just yeah, Ryan O'Reilly. Okay. Funny. I mean, well, you got a dark horse, Braden Shen, and I, just because he's think, signed, but that I don't, I don't think, think that's, that's going to be. Yeah, also, I just yeah, what give I, it to him, and Ryan O'Reilly doesn't sign. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, don't don't do that. Uh, five head coaches: Andy Murray, not for long; Davis Payne, not for long; Ken Hitchcock, Mike Yo, <laughs> coach in waiting, Yoach in waiting. Uh, Craig Berube is the current head coach and Stanley Cup winning head coach. In that time, he has been 485, 283, and 89 for 1,059 points. They they were the third winningest team of the decade. Pittsburgh had 466 wins. Washington had 462. And the Blues had 448. So the best team in the Western Conference by regular season wins for the entire 2010s. they did culminate in a Stanley Cup, obviously. So, I mean, there's no question that on on the whole, his tenure has been successful. Mm-hmm. But let's look at some of the highs and lows. I looked at his worst draft picks. I think indisputably his worst draft pick of his tenure was Jordan Schmaltz. It's really the only first-round bust that Man, he's really had. I forget he was I mean, a first-rounder. I get yeah. him mixed up with, uh, who's the other one? Tommy Vanelli oh, or whatever, who was a Tommy second Vanelli rounder. Tommy Vanelli was considered for this list. He, uh, he was right on the cusp. He would have been that, number four. Is that like? That's good to not be on a worse draft pick list. But if you're like Tommy Vanelli and you couldn't crack the NHL, memorable you're enough not to even be memorable. Yeah, you're like, who is that one guy? It's gone. Uh, he's dead. Uh, Sebastian Wanstrom in 2010 was our second round pick. A lot of people don't remember. First two picks, we'll talk about in a minute. Very good. Rest of that draft, real shit. <laughs> uh, and then Ty Ratty, you know, high, high second round pick. Had a, a phenomenal, I mean, I was looking at that dude's WHL numbers. Insane. Mm-hmm. Insane. That dude's like like WHL Hall of Fame caliber, I would think. Just never cracked it in the AHL, a really. Real, a real Jordan Kyrie. Finished type. with, I think, 99 NHL games, which is a real kick in the nuts. I know it doesn't matter, but it does a little bit. <laughs> Somebody signed poor Tyratty. Give him one game and one game only. <laughs> um, but, I mean, drafting has been one of his most successful areas. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. there have been some draft classes that were kind of duds, but he's found some talent in every one, and he doesn't have, you know... This draft, I think we talked about last week, we feel a little better about it with some of the dust settling than we did at the time. Mm-hmm. There were some head scratchers, but none of those picks that make you just go, well, what the yeah, hell just like, happened? Terrible. Um, I think there's no question that the best moment of Doug Armstrong's drafting career was his first moment where he took Jaden Schwartz at 14th and then traded David Rumwent for the 16th pick and took Vladimir Tarasenko, basically got the two most important forwards of the decade uh, in one fell swoop in the first round. Uh, Robert Thomas, I would argue, I know he hasn't totally reached his potential, but has the potential to be a number one center. A Bo Horvat type, if you will. Hey, um, Bo Horvat roasted yeah, this team Oh, in man, the he tore us a, a new uh, asshole, that kid. So. He really made me eat this joke. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, Thomas was 20th overall in 2017. And then Colton Pareko, you know, late third round pick, hit him in the uh, Alberta Junior Hockey League. Um 
was 86th overall in 2012, and now he's your number one right-handed defenseman. And we can debate whether that's a great idea, but it's not a laughably bad idea. And to get that late in the third round, hard to argue with. Mm-hmm. Any other draft picks that stand out? You mentioned Tommy Vanelli as particularly good or bad. I mean, he's had a lot of good ones. He's had Sammy Blay. Was yeah, a, I was going to say Sammy Blay. Yeah, sixth-round pick has become something. Um, Jordan Cairo, obviously, high second-rounder. Um, was Vince Dunn? He was second round too. Second yeah, or third, yeah. I think. Yeah, um, trying to think of some other ones. Oh, Tyler Tucker. You could argue. I mean, he hasn't. It hasn't arrived yet. But if that mm-hmm. dude comes from late in the seventh to be very good or even you know passable NHL defenseman, that's nice. It's a good. Uh, I don't know who else is on this prospect <laughs> pyramid, but uh, good. I mean, he's been a very successful drafter. I would say that's one of the strongest parts of his management style and and he's done well at it Mm -hmm. no i'd agree i think that's probably like his the biggest thing he brings to the table on top of maybe some like and i guess we'll kind of get to it on top of some pretty fun trades i think even some of his bad trades i think have Mm -hmm. been fun i guess you'd say like just because i'm like okay well that's weird but cool i'm glad you did it and I think that's what's been exciting about him, too, is he'll, he'll be quiet here and there, but then every once in a while he's got, like, a blockbuster, and you're like, hell, yeah. Yeah. Because you, you could be uh, fucking what's-his-face up in Winnipeg and just be itching to make a trade, you know, on your eighth year of being the GM there. Yeah. Shovel day off where he, like, mm-hmm. doesn't do jack, and it's like, I do like a GM that's measured but does swing for the fences here and there. Do you think... Grade A trades over the last decade than any other GM. I know GM Jim Rutherford has done a lot, but it seems like a lot of his are kind of piddly, yeah, sort of middling things. I guess he did get Kessel and and uh, what's his name and Matt Murray got traded, so maybe Rutherford. But I would say Army is certainly up there in terms of like franchise redefining mm-hmm. trades. Speaking of trades, let's start with his bad ones. I don't think there's any question that the T.J. Oshie trade uh, was first and gave up T.J. Oshie. Got one year and one very important goal from Troy Brower and then got Phoenix Copley in a third-round pick, um, both of which ended up going back to Washington uh, later on. Uh, you know, I don't think this is so bad because it's like because like Oshie should have stayed here forever and been mm-hmm. a long-term part of this team. I think the writing was kind of on the wall at the time that it was, you know, time for him to move on. And and it's pretty hard to mend that fence if you've got a guy like Ken Hitchcock who clearly wants him out. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both strong personalities. But the return there is just bad. I mean, it's not even, I mean, it's not even that bad. You know, mm-hmm. both franchises were fine after this. Brower did play a significant role for that year, but just by Armstrong standard, it's like you get a one year out of a guy and then you lose TJ Oshie, who's still a, a phenomenal player for the Capitals. Yeah, it was funny. I was just thinking of that line. It was the Stasny Brower Fabry line, which, mm-hmm. what's that? It doesn't even <laughs> exist. Um, Troy Brower, if you didn't trade for Troy Brower and have him in that first go around, then you'd never have him in, in his second oh, stint yeah. here. So, I mean, I think that most, means the most. most. glorious stint. Uh, yeah, I remember trying to do mental gymnastics on this one. This felt very much like when we hired Yo, and I was like, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, over and over again until I was like, you know what? Good idea. And, uh-huh. and I was like, uh, Troy Brower's a good player. He plays. He's on the Capitals. I've seen him score goals. You, you, you know that's good. That's that's all right. 
And I thought Phoenix Copley would maybe be like, you know, a future starter or a 1B or something. And that was how I rationalized this to myself. And that's as good as it ever got for me. Yeah, just really, I mean, in hindsight, that third is especially like, why wasn't that at least a second? Mm -hmm. You don't have, you have one year of of Brower. It should have been like a a later pick and like a conditional, at least like something other than a third. To be like, yeah, if he doesn't Um, sign here or whatever. Yeah. Which For probably sure. was the year after Brower left anyway, and mm-hmm. they just got it back to trade up. I, th- I think that went back to them. I don't know. I think it was to trade up to get Tidge Thompson. Is that the 2017 draft? Yeah, I guess that would make so. sense. That and seems that got, like... That got us Ryan O'Reilly. TJ Oshie was a blue in the 2015-16 season. That doesn't feel right. <laughs> or no, 2014-15, I guess, right? Yeah. No. Yes. 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 (laughs) Something like that. Anyway. So, yeah, it might have been. Anyway, I think we traded that pick back to them to get move up and get Tage Thompson. But whatever the case, pretty sure it got back to them. Either way, it didn't become like Joel Edmondson, I don't think. Um, Mm -hmm. So, another good draft pick, though. Yeah. uh, by uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Armstrong there. So that was just a bad pick. And then the other one, which we've already alluded to in passing, uh, getting Ryan Miller and Steve Ott, you know, what we gave up really hasn't hurt us at all. Uh, Yaroslav Halak, Chris Stewart, William Carrier, uh, 2015 first-round pick that went to the um, Jets. Jets to become yeah. Jack Roslevic, and a 2016 third-round pick who was Linus Nassen, who never played in the NHL. None of that. I mean, Halak has had a hell of a career, but mm. never as a real true number one starter again. Um, and, uh, you know, he did just win the Jennings Trophy. I'm a big Yaroslav Halak. Oh, yeah. The poster's still up over uh, in the corner. So, um, but, you know... None of those players were, <laughs> you had to verify. I didn't I yeah. uh, but uh, none of those players were long-term pieces here. It's just the disappointment of, of how that Miller trade worked out. And, mm-hmm. how, you know, it was a big price at the time and you had a lot of hopes and it was the whole 5% thing and didn't, didn't do so hot. Yeah. Ended up being like uh, Steve Ott's ham- hamstrings a couple of years later. Oh. Squiggly. Yeah, this trade was all about getting Steve Ott in the organization. Yeah. Future uh, cup-winning assistant coach Steve Ott. Yeah, I was all happy with the Ryan Miller trade, and to this day, even though it's not like a great trade, I'd still, you know, it's hindsight. Would I still make that trade in whatever that was, 2014 again? Hell yeah, I would. I was super excited. Uh, I think you got to remember people really over um, Halak here. We like him. I've always liked to lock, but even, you know, even we were just kind of like, all right, we've, we've seen enough. He's not going to be, he can't be the starter for us anymore. I don't think Brian Elliott was quite into form yet either. And we brought in Ryan Miller, um, to kind of wed, you know, put a, put place to, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say, be a better (laughs) goalie, be a better goalie for us. And, uh, it didn't quite work out. Again, I, I think it's the fact he didn't paint his mask whatsoever. I know we just traded for him in a white mask, bro. What the fuck? Um, that is the the only reason he failed, I would say. I will say, I don't know if there's been... 
Do you remember any like goalie trades at the deadline anymore? No, I think then? well, Lanier, I guess this year went. Yeah, okay, and was fine. So maybe now okay. we'll see. So them now again. it's okay. But yeah, for a lot, I mean, even but when no, we, that I think pretty openly scared away GMs yeah, from trying. This. Even when we did that, it had been a while. I believe people yeah. were like you don't really do that. Ryan Miller had only played on the Sabers and for a long time, so it makes sense why it could have been you know a relationship that didn't quite work out, but. Overall, um, yeah, not the best trade. And that third round pick did go back to get Tage Thompson, who was drafted all the way back in 2016. Seems like too long ago. Oh, wow. um, yeah, I mean, it, it just didn't work out. And I think it's kind of, I mean, for that to be your second worst trade, not bad. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and he really doesn't have any that were just like, oh God, we gave up ryan o'reilly for nothing for example (laughs) but um you know i was thinking about it sorry you want to make a point no i was just gonna say yeah you're right there i mean you gotta remember that look back at how many trades get made a year and there's always some head scratchers like what the hell is Mm -hmm. this and the fact that doug armstrong has not been involved in any of those is pretty i mean it's it's pretty good both of those trades are kind of the ryan miller one especially is one you want to have made and the tjo she one was kind of like I kind of had to push, and he didn't get the best return. Um, but there's no, like, Jesus, Doug, you got fucking raked. There is, I was thinking about this, though, and there is at least an argument that the Eric Johnson trade actually didn't end up working out that well for the Blues. Mm-hmm. Eric Johnson has been a cornerstone defenseman for the Avalanche for a long time, and he has never looked like a first overall pick, but that's not really his fault. That was partly his draft year. Um and, uh, you know, that first round pick we gave them didn't become anything, which, thank God, because, it, I mean, if that had been a star, that it really would look pretty bad for us. Stewart, we traded in this deal, obviously had an up and down career with the Blues. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we maybe got a second that year, so I don't know who that player is. But Shattenkirk obviously played a big role here for a number of years, so it wasn't a, an awful trade. But mm. then we traded him, too, and, you know, you get Samford, you get... Um, Stanley Cup winning forward, Zach Samford. Yeah, he gets Samford and you get... Um, Four goals in one whoever, game. Was it Thomas that we took with that pick? I don't remember. That we got for Samford? And let's see, it was the next year, right? 2017? Was it Costin? I can't remember. Um, I thought we got something with him. Yeah, this is four goals and a loss. Oh, no, Zach we traded Sanford. it for... Um, and the Shin deal. So, like, it worked out well for both teams, mm-hmm. but four goals in a loss at Stanford. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I don't think it's bad, but it didn't, you know, I think we looked at that for a long time like we really foisted the yeah, avalanche. It's a lot more even. I don't think we did. That's a lot more even. Uh, which is also true of the Shin trade a little bit, but we'll talk about that one. Uh, the Bo Meester trade, I think, is the most unquote, well... Bo Meester and O'Reilly will talk about, but Bo Meester is just, I mean, you look back at it, we traded Mark Kandari, Rian Obera, and a first-round pick that became Emile Poirier. None of those guys were even worth a cup of coffee in the NHL ever at any point, and, uh, you know, Jay Bo Meester, for whatever, you know, grievances that you could have about Jay Bo Meester in the you know, not not really grievances so much as just the concerns about his contract towards the end and his aging and and you know he looked really bad during the end of the Mike Yo era. But all of that aside, you know he he was a number one pairing defenseman for uh, a defensive partner for Alex Petrangelo for so long, and and he was um, really just 
a, a big part of the Stanley Cup run as well mm-hmm. as a shutdown defenseman and and to get him for three pieces that basically never became anything at all anything at all is really uh, a phenomenal accomplishment and especially you know because we we talked we we knew that deal was happening we knew not only like I I don't remember any deal in the history of the Blues even even the O'Reilly deal felt more like well they're talking about O'Reilly but there are a lot of pieces that need to fall into place. There were like other teams too that were like in on O'Reilly. Yeah, other teams and Montreal's looking at them too and and so it's not a sure thing, you know. Um, And then, you know, the other deal we're about to talk about came out of totally out of nowhere, but like with Jay Bomeister, it was like, no, the Blues are for sure getting Jay Bomeister. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, uh, you know, there was the Jordan Leopold news, and it's like... Oh, yeah, is that our guy? What? <laughs> and then it just, it, you know, then uh, Army came on at intermission and announced it like a baller. Um, but, you know, as much as that would seemingly give you the bad negotiating position, mm-hmm. they still didn't give up anything for him. And at the time, it didn't feel like they gave up anything for him. Right. I don't remember thinking at the time, you know, the first round pick hurt. I, I was think. like, I think the first was the hardest part the time, to swallow. I, was like, who the hell? I, I really don't even think I knew who like either of those guys were then. And I certainly don't now. <laughs> um, and granted, I wasn't nearly as into the blues then in terms of like knowing like, yeah, prospect prospects. pyramids and stuff. But like, you know, it's obviously they didn't either one become anything. So anyway, this is just a home run for him. Uh, the Braden Shin deal, you know, it wasn't, it's not a great trade in the sense that it was one-sided uh, so much, but um, it uh, it was, it's just a great hockey trade that worked out for both teams. You get a player that is probably going to be a part of your team for a decade, barring a future trade where you let go of him. Um, and all you, you get rid of the Yori Laterra contract, which is terrible, and we'll talk about momentarily. <laughs> and all you give up is two first-round picks, which is a high price. And they're both, you know, I think Morgan Frost and Joel Farabee have both become good young players and will be good parts of their team for a long time. But that's fine. You you helped, Braden Shin helped you win a Stanley Cup, and, you know, you wouldn't have been able to make the O'Reilly trade probably at all if you still had that Laterra contract. Um I'm older than Braden Shen. I don't like that. Anyways, <laughs> doesn't feel right, does it? No. Uh, it's interesting because Braden Shen, like we forget, I forget that we had like no center depth at the time. Oh my god! Like just zero. I mean, um, your Latera was our center. Yeah, <laughs> right. And so having Braden Shen alone, just as a, as a better center. I mean, I granted in Philadelphia he was playing wing, but wanted to play center and I'm glad he did because I think he actually looks pretty good there for the Blues and I'm glad that we got him there and then again you were Terry get rid of that that albatross of a contract and the Flyers pick up two first that they could have swung and missed on mm. and I mean would look great for the Blues but uh for you know fortunately for the Flyers they actually get two players that are going to be like everyday contributors for them and it's yeah it's about as even as a hockey trade as you can get we're we don't miss i mean i'd love to have morgan frost and these guys but that's not what we need and it's not it's basically, always tricky too because yeah. you don't have any way of knowing that doug armstrong would have yeah exactly guys, you exactly know? you kind of have to just erase that and say well we would have just had you know a first and a second again or whatever mm-hmm. our two firsts um so yeah i mean i think and those it, drafts still were really good drafts for us too we got mm-hmm. robert thomas before the shin trade Mm-hmm. We got Clint Costin after the Shen trade, mm-hmm. and then the next year, um, 
was the Dominic Bach year. We still got him from the stats near the home. We obviously traded him, but like, it's not like we just didn't build our prospect depth at all. Um, yeah, even if we Clem Costin doesn't work out, I want to give an honorary shout out to the uh, the uh, Sunquist Clem, yeah Sunquist for yeah, Reeves and the Costin pick because that's just Sunquist was a big part of this team mm-hmm. uh, in the eighteen nineteen run, and it's kind of amazing that we got even a first out of Ryan O'Reilly, let alone a player that we really didn't think we were going to get much out of uh, within his first season that we was here, and then second season he kind of took off. So if Clem Costin doesn't work go. out. That's still a great Yeah, trade. that trade was still good. Yep. Um, yeah, good good point. Thanks for mentioning that. And then, you know, we don't need to linger here very long, but the, the Ryan O'Reilly trade I could just look at for a decade and still be stunned by. I mean, I, I, I genuinely think it will go down as one of the worst trades in hockey history. Poor Buffalo. It's, it's right up there with Mutual for, or not Mutual, Brock for Brolio. Like, it's... There's no there there. They got two players that aren't there anymore that were total salary dumps. One of them just left. One of them hated playing for your team so much he gave up like $16 million. And genuinely, we've talked a lot about the mental health aspect, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to make light of that. But think about how seriously affected your mental health has to be to get to that point, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I'm sure he has a lot of money, and he's doing fine regardless. But still... Um, Sabotka sucked at that point. Was a waste of space. That's another extension that mm-hmm. you could put on the bad list. He's still technically. Is he still on that team? No, I think he's finally oh, off okay. now. But Tage Thompson. I know there are people in Buffalo who still have some hopes for him. What is he now? Like twenty three? I mean, he can't be super young anymore. I guess it could. You are getting into that's young, but you're getting into the kind of what are you territory, yeah. and especially Buffalo, where you're trying was, to improve. You can't just fill your team with like what if bodies. I believe you know? he was hurt this year, so you know, and I think he had a really strong year in the AHL. Let's see, 2020, 2019, 20, 16 AHL games, twelve points. Still looked good in sixteen games, but injured, and and you don't know. And then Ryan Johnson is like the defenseman they. Drafted, who I think will be fine, but I don't think he's going to be a star. Uh, and then they traded the second round pick to Vegas for Colin Miller, and then Vegas traded it to LA for Alec Martinez. So, you know, we'll see who that pick becomes <laughs> next year, but it's not going to become anyone for the Sabres. Um, and then you get Ryan O'Reilly, who won a Con Smythe and a Stanley Cup and a Selkie Trophy and is now going to be your captain and, you know, very genuinely could have a, a statue built of him if he resigns a contract mm-hmm. here and, and plays this well as he's played this whole time. So no regrets there. Worst contracts. This has been uh, a sticky wicket, if you will, for, for Armstrong throughout his career. Probably the thing he's worst at, which really makes me confident that uh, Ryan Johnson got promoted um, <laughs> because, you know, he's the contract guy or was. Um, but, uh, you know, the Yori Laterra, one of uh, the two giant festering turds of, 
of Doug Armstrong's uh, administration. We'll talk about the other one here uh, because you mentioned it, and and I want to get back to the coach and winning situation. But uh, three years for fourteen million dollars for Yori Laterra, and it's not just the four six six AAV. It's the timing, and this is a mistake Armstrong kept making, which, to his credit, mm-hmm. he didn't make with uh, Petrangelo, mm-hmm. and he didn't make really with Shen. Hasn't made with Schwartz so far. Um, but, uh, you know, given these guys uh, an extension, basically a full year in advance of their free agency, uh, as early as you could do it, you know, Laterra had had a great year and looked really good with Tarasenko, found that chemistry. But to commit to him as like, yes, this is what he's going to be, that the whole point of if you're doing a deal early, it's got to there's got to be advantages for both sides. And I just feel like with the points he told scored that year, which I think were only like four. And, you know, it just, 4.6 million for that is on the high end to begin with. And Mm -hmm. I get that he made Tarasenko look good. I'm assuming that was Tarasenko's set 40 goal year, probably. Um, But it just, it, it didn't, really make sense at the time it felt like a stretch and then you know drop by 10 points the next season immediately looked bad and then dropped by 12 more the following season and just kept looking worse and worse and and you offload that at the price of a first round pick um and you know at least you know those wouldn't have been two firsts for shen it might have been a first and a third or a first and a second but it wouldn't have been two firsts patrick bergwin five years that thing it still had yeah like two i didn't realize it was so it. long um for 3.85 per season, you know, sucks that that's the way a long boy's career ends, but thank God his agent screwed up. I have such mixed feelings oh about God. that because it feels gross every time I think about it a little bit. It really feels like you kind of took advantage of the player, you know, and, and took advantage of that loophole and that mistake by his agent, but at the same time, I'm just like, thank God. You right. know? I know, I feel really bad, but I'm like, okay, that's all right. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just glad that that's gone. And then the uh, the uh, Alex Steen deal, which is not going to haunt us as much now, but mm-hmm. um, wasn't great. On the bright side, Vladimir Tarasenko deal, uh, you know, he's injured now, but it was a great contract extension. The David mm-hmm. Prawn current deal, the four for $16 million. So good. I don't know how you did that after his breakout year in Vegas, but... He loves it in St. Louis. I don't want Thank him exposed. You, don't expose him to the draft this time. Keep him. Yeah. Keep him forever. Just I, I wanted that Seattle Perron jersey. I want him to go one more round and yeah. then just retire here. Get you know, sign a deal. It and would then be retire, cool but... if you played for a sixth team and then only sign for St. Mm-hmm. Louis. That'd be fun. That's the thing is when this is done, how old will he be? He'll be like Perron's going to be thirty-four at the end of this deal. So he could still have another contract, but. I mean, it most certainly will, and it could be with us, and I don't know if that's a mistake or not, but I want him to retire blue. I do, too. He's the one, like, he. I think he's become my favorite player of this generation, just because he played for five teams and only signed with us, and, mm-hmm. you know, come battling back from that Thornton con- concussion. Right. That's amazing um, he's had any career at all. You know, and now he's got, what, I don't, you know, he's gonna, he would have had a thousand game career he still will he's got 850 games he'll still hit a thousand probably damn 
If he plays the full season this year, he'll have 52. He finishes out his contract. I mean, he should. God, God willing, he stays healthy. But, I mean, that dude's obviously not a Hall of Famer, but that's one of your, like, franchise greats kind mm-hmm. of guys. If he, if he finishes this deal here and, and stays longer, comes back or whatever, like, that's a that's a great player. Yeah, that guy feels like more so than any other player that we currently have or have had mm-hmm. that is, like, a thousand percent going to be like part of this organization. Oh yeah, he feels like that weird Bob Puyger guy, where it's just like seventy-year-old David Perron. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like whatever. How's it going, my man? Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, I sound just like Bob Puyger. We're the same guy. So. <laughs> and then the the Colton Pareko deal, five years, twenty-seven point five million. Um, you know, again, we've talked about whether or not he can totally handle a number one role, but five point five million for a guy that's even sniffing up that tree is. Pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, overall thoughts on Armstrong's tenure? I mean, obviously you would rate it as a success. He's got a Stanley Cup. The yeah. team's been in the playoffs 8 of 11 years. He's a consistent winner. But um, overall thoughts on things? I mean, I'll be sad when whenever he decides to, to move on or hang him up or whatever because he's pretty much been the GM for our, our fandom lives so far. And I can't imagine someone doing as good a job as he's done maybe they can you know maybe they do better but it's just hard to believe because i think he's just done such a great job overall um it wouldn't be this podcast though if we didn't just take a giant dump on somebody oh uh, yeah let's before yeah. we get out of here and just as like just as the the one big festering pile on this on this <laughs> man's so tenure here is the coach and waiting uh why I'm glad it happened only in that we can always talk about it. What possessed you to make that decision? Yeah, so I think it's two things. I've boiled it down in my head to two things. Um, It's just the two people that are involved outside of Armstrong. It's Yo and it's Hitchcock. First, you have Hitchcock, who you had to pay some sort of respect to, I guess. I mean, I guess you did that by hiring him and employing him. But somehow you had to guarantee him more time. I can't remember if I mentioned this or not, but there is a um, scene in Mad Men that I come back to a lot in my brain Mm -hmm. because there's a scene where Peggy, the uh, what's-her-name, and uh, Don Draper are working together all night on a project, and and Peggy is feeling underappreciated and talks about how upset she was that she didn't get enough credit or didn't get enough thanks for the last assignment they completed together and Don Draper just kind of exasperatedly screams that's what the money is for and I always kind of felt like that with the Hitchcock thing it's like if you fire the dude he's getting paid he's had a long career he's already won a cup he's like 65 and not in great shape this dude isn't gonna you're not ruining this man's career you know it's like He's been paid very well to be a coach. He's still going to be paid if you fire him. I can't imagine if I can't imagine that record mattered to be like third most you know, like third in uh, games coached. Like uh-huh. maybe it did, and if it really did, he'd go coach somewhere else, and you would and know that. Did. And he did exactly. <laughs> so it's like I don't really understand why. And we talked about it too, but it's like it was so. I'm all for the feelings and for and for crying and all that stuff. I'm totally open to that. But it was just, it did not feel right when he was like openly 
weeping when he was firing Hitchcock because it just made you feel like, are you the GM of the Blues and you're looking out for the Blues' best interests? Or are you really like a fan of Ken Hitchcock <laughs> and you're just so depressed that you've had to make this decision? But Ian, I get that. But don't you think that Mike Yo is the kind of coach that when he becomes a free agent, you just have <laughs> to have him? It's like the biggest flavor uh. at... Uh, Cold Stone Creamery, you gotta have it. <laughs> you gotta have it. Where, I can't even remember who else was available that year, but there, anybody. There were better anybody what, who did we lose? Who did we lose? We lost Muller and um, Bradshaw. 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 Either of them. Either of them. We lost them. Be- didn't we essentially lose them because we brought Mike Yo in? Where they we essentially said, "Hey, no, we didn't." Not because we brought Mike Yo in, but because we said, "Hey." We're keeping Ken Hitchcock like, some yeah. more, and they were like, "I thought one of us was going to have a job here, and/or just be under somebody else." Uh-huh. And they were like, "No," and they said, "Okay, well, fuck that," and left. And yeah, so then they had to go out and get the hottest free agent, who was Mike Yo, apparently, and like, this like summer's hottest yeah. is, and like what's going through the news currently with like Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, people have wanted that game for seven years. It now looks like dog shit on like a current console on like a PS4 or Xbox One. They've now said that you can get refunds for it because they've straight up told, they've straight up said, yes, yeah, sorry, we showed you not these, uh, not, you know, video from a PS4 or Xbox One when advertising for this and we didn't tell you. Sorry, so they fucked up. So this thing looks like crap. And you wanted it for seven years, and you see it looks like crap, and you still go, you know what? I'm gonna buy it anyways. Fuck it, <laughs> you know, fuck me. Let me do it anyways. That's Doug Armstrong, Mike Yo. You sucked in Minnesota. There was no denying it, and he was like, yeah, but I wanted him way back in 2011. And I was like, yeah. Time has transpired. <laughs> Things have happened. Time has passed. Now he has a beard to show. Yeah, it's like, past. and he's no good. We can look at the evidence. And he's like, but if you remember 2011, and then you've hired him. It and, was, you know, that logic seems to kind of plague Doug Armstrong. And at times it's worked out when he did the, well, I wanted Oscar Sunquist before sort of stuff. But yeah. like, yeah, you wanted him then. And then you prove that it sucked so that's i mean the cyberpunk is such a perfect analogy because it's like you know like another good analogy i love fallout games i always want fallout games and then they release that fallout where it's like what if it was a, uh, an online multiplayer mm-hmm. instead of a, a deep and rich storytelling environment and it's like no, because <laughs> that's not what i wanted and i'm sure whatever that west virginia fallout had some highs and lows and fun stuff but like no that's not what i'm here for this isn't what i came for if you want you know that's just that's just basic observe and learn and grapple and change your opinions on stuff that's what blows me away it's like you that's not the same person that you that you fell in love with in 2011 and to think that that was going to be the guy and to be to be transparent with it all I'm all for transparency, but to go to the fans and be like, hey, by the way, this guy will be the next coach. He's not the coach yet. Say that to Mike Yo. Say that to mm-hmm. Ken Hitchcock. Have them prepare in that fashion. Have everyone speculate. But there's no reason to say that. And, like, man, yeah, it's pretty much, that's an, that's an extension 
of his extensions. It's it's pretty it's exactly that. They went and they did something a year too early that they didn't have to do, and it bit them in the ass. Um, pretty much immediately. I don't think any single human being was like, this is a good idea. Mm. I think everyone in the media around hockey was like, I don't understand this. <laughs> um, and it's... Well, it's... I mean, I don't want to... We're already belabored this point, but like... Yeah. We love ranting about Mike it. Yo. Again, <laughs> it wasn't Joel Quinville mm. or some super successful coach. And on the flip side, it wasn't... Uh, not even a Kirk Muller because he'd already been trying to mm. fail, but like a like a Sheldon Keefe or some some top AHL or college. Or they coach just don't have like NHL history like, yet. But but they're looked yeah. at as like a really promising up like coming, future up yeah. and coming coach. Like this is a guy who got like what five years, six years in Minnesota when he should have gotten three. Mm-hmm. Sucked, sucked. <laughs> It wasn't like he was okay, and then they just decided they needed to change the scenery. That dude should have been fired for, like, four years. Like, every December and they then, went through a fucking losing streak, and, and it was then, always like, should it be time? And then he freaking sucked here. <laughs> he sucked here because he, he got the boost for the year he took over. He got the boost that anyone would have gotten of not freaking being Ken Hitchcock because the team had given up on him. But you know what? Partially, the team gave up on Ken Hitchcock because they probably figured, hey, if we just suck for a couple of weeks, this guy won't be here anymore because we already know that this other bloke is the dude who's going to replace him. No part of this made any sense or any, any ramification. What was the... What was even theoretically the benefit? The only theoretical benefit was that you had Mike Yo. Your calculation had to be that Mike Yo was so goddamn important to the future success of your franchise that come hell or high water, come Ken Hitchcock retiring, or your coaches or your players throwing a revolt, or your assistant coaches just walking out, you had to have Mike Yo at all costs. And over the course of not even two years, that led to you slapping your knee in the third deck of, of the then Scott Trade Center and saying, hot dog, when Alex Iafalo or some freaking oh, yeah. can, uh, oh, Kings yeah. player you've never heard of scored the second goal of a game. And ultimately that led to a Stanley Cup. So I guess through the back door, maybe it was all part of the plan. You know what? That's why he's the best job. Oh, yikes. Just, I mean, we'll probably do it again because it was just such a yikes decision. I love that it happened and it's so much better because obviously they won a cup. So you can just look back on it and just be like, oh, what silly times. But it's like, scholars will study this. Oh, absolutely. Where is my It'll make no sense of it. Uh, the Flyers, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Like, that dude's probably a great assistant coach. What are you, What I was going to say was, like, you said, um, you were saying, like, uh, what was it? That, like, we had to have him? Mm-hmm. I can't remember now. But you know how, like, uh, Sidney Crosby was essentially was like, yo, you got to hold on to, you got to hold on to Oscar Sundquist. Oh, yeah. You'd like, what are you guys doing? And then we trade, you know, we got him, and they're like, man, I really like that guy. What was he saying about Mike Yo <laughs> when he was assistant coach of the Penguins? Come on, you gotta keep Mike Yo. No way. Just, uh, I mean, 
God, I mean, thankful that that's the worst decision he made. There are so many worst oh, yeah. game decisions out so that's there. That's what I mean. Somehow it worked out, but and you're able to fire a coach, so that's all right. Just but... a hilariously awful decision. And the fact that he survived that decision. Right. I wonder how close it got. It must have gotten close, because you remember Barubi wasn't even immediately successful. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the thing that we've sort of mm-hmm. rewritten about that season, is Barubi was not an immediate smash hit. I think we won his first game, and then we just got jamoked in the second <laughs> game, just drilled by, I think, the Predators. And then we sucked, you know, until really until Bennington got there against Philadelphia. We really hadn't ever picked it up and, and started succeeding, and... Yeah, where did I read that I thought Armstrong more has admitted to, um, like, almost just, like, saying fuck it and being, like, done with this team, like, last season? I think there was some... I don't know if a GMs are just yeeted and been like, bye. But I think you said, uh, not last season, but the cup-winning season, that there were, like, there was a time where he was, like, I was pretty much just going to be done. I was just over it. Like, leave? just Yeah, or out. just, like, or just be, like, you know, I mean, this I is my know last season or whatever. I like, like, got in the day and that's part of the Petrangelo mm-hmm. problems even now. But, like, yeah, I mean, I could see it because, like, that for a couple of years, that team was so frustrating. Those were our golden years. So, in a yeah. way, we missed <laughs> Go back I mean, there. I right. mean, he was here. We just talked about it. He's been here for 11 seasons as yeah. GM. And so, like, to have that season be whatever it is, was his, his 10th or whatever, uh-huh. and be like, dude, we've ping-ponged so close to this <laughs> fucking stanley cup and are we ever gonna get there and i get us ryan o'reilly and all this stuff and we fucking blow like i remember feeling so bad mm-hmm. that we got ryan o'reilly and that we sucked and, and he, he was, was doing well and i was like i'm so sorry we yeah. traded for you and just ruined your and life just another year of this shit <laughs> yeah i was like he this... must have thought he was cursed i know seriously it. that dude had to have just been like sitting there looking at the bottom of a bottle and being like i'm just, <laughs> I, I can't believe this right now yeah yeah. But it, it all worked out. And Doug Armstrong, great GM. <laughs> Doug Armstrong, the very Seriously, best. like, honestly, like, he's had some some blunders with, like, contract extensions. And we've, we mentioned the two trades. And the fact that you can really only mention, like, two trades is pretty amazing. Two trades in 11 seasons. You can mention two trades and that stand out as... And neither of them are really that bad. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's pretty freaking amazing. That's the best accomplishment, really, yeah. is just how little he's ever hurt the team. Yeah, like, that's what I mean. You see GMs constantly in this league Some just, just fucking kick themselves in the nuts. <laughs> I can... Stabbing their own voodoo doll right in the Fucking... <laughs> Jim Rutherford over there fucking punching other dudes in the nuts, then somehow got a mirror and started punching himself in the nuts. <laughs> uh, he still doesn't know it. Uh, yeah, you could have a billion other guys. That's the thing. I think uh, what we look at like the misery index, and you ask like, hey, you know, what team would you want to trade spots with? Um, and I think you look at GMs. You know, what GM would you rather have currently, mm-hmm. other than Doug Armstrong? And maybe it's like. I can't even think right now, but maybe like three other ones. If I just had to go off the top of my head randomly, like maybe. And some of those. And even are, then, it's just like a pivot. It's just some like of those a. Are like I'm not even sure. Like Joe Sackick's been real good, but like yeah, yeah. We wouldn't have want Joe Sackick because I'm not sure he's actually good. Yeah. He, saw, he got Jay, Nathan McKinnon for free, 
and then, you know, got a Lucky Duchesne deal where people way overpaid. Yeah, I think Armstrong over the last, like, decade has been the most consistent GM. Yeah, I don't know that there's one that I would for sure... I I can't think of anybody. Iserman, maybe. Iserman, maybe. But that's the thing where it's like he's, like, rebuilding a team and had the lightning. I need Iserman to prove it in Detroit because Tampa's a make-believe area where money doesn't exist. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there aren't there aren't many. That's the point. And yeah. so, yeah, I mean, this has turned into a real long retrospective on Doug Armstrong. But we need topics, folks. So, yeah, I mean, a, a phenomenal career with that one uh, glaring error and a couple of other head scratchers. And, and, you know, and the big kind of ghost in the machine now is how's this Petrangelo situation going to reflect mm-hmm. on the long term? You know, how much how much are we going to learn that it was kind of personal animus? Um, and, or, you know, how, how good is Petrangelo going to look in Vegas? How good is he going to look at the end of the contract with the flat cap throughout this thing? I'll tell you, it's already looking better. Um, mm-hmm. you know, cause that's going to last most of the length of this deal. And you mentioned, you know, that Armstrong kind of held, held his ground, you mm-hmm. know, kind of said, no, thanks. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, you're talking about they played the political games. Yeah, I mean, that's Petrangelo and his group just tried to drag him into the mud to kind of get some sort of argument out of him, and he pretty much just said, you know, I'll, I'll give you what I can give you, but it's a business. I mean, he pretty much put his stake in the ground when he got Justin Falk. was like, yeah. I we can talk about this, but I have to plan for this team's you future. You than this team. Yeah. That's essentially what he said. And... I give him credit for Petrangelo that. Petrangelo wanted to be, and he got to be. He ultimately got to be bigger than the team and another team because mm-hmm. they traded Nate Schmidt, a guy people really liked, and they scared the locker room. The I was like, yeah, they're still going to have to make trades, I'm sure, yeah. He's not going to be popular there, I don't think, in the locker room coming in. Um, maybe Alex Petrangelo's just a dick. I don't know. <laughs> but, like, uh, but it just feels like that could be the kind of... The nightcap that is like one of the chef's kiss on the on the end of of Doug Armstrong's career, where you said, "Man, how'd he dodge that bullet?" You mm-hmm. know, or it could look back and say, "Oh yeah, yeah, you definitely should have kept him. That was a mistake." But either way, a decade of successful GMing in a Stanley Cup is nothing to complain yeah. about. And our condolences to Doug Armstrong, uh, whose father passed oh, away yeah, recently. That is true. That who is like sad. lived at a a crazy long like successful life anyways it was like a NHL linesman yeah NHL linesman in the hall of fame uh yeah got to live to see his son win a Stanley Cup with an organization other than Dallas Stars or whatever uh but you know a real one yeah a real cup but uh (laughs) yeah so I mean you know condolences to him yeah yeah, just figured I'd mention that single on the topic after all this I just feel like I have warm feelings about Doug Armstrong he seems like a good dude too like you could have a beer with him and and chill so (laughs) he has like the he has a fun like kind of like awkward laugh sometimes where they're like talking to him he's like I don't know panger he's like (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like what's what's happening (laughs) or he's like yeah 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 Uh, yeah so cheers to Doug Armstrong we will be back next week uh, not live 
Probably. I will add maybe a, li- a closer to live part. It's never live, folks. You're it's never hearing us. I hate, to, yeah, I hate to break to your podcast. That's not how podcasts not live. work. Sometimes I've had, to t- I've had to tell people, people that, though. Those people have technology. Do they have I've, I've had to tell people, like, are you broadcasting? I think, like? I think uh, those punks over at LGB Radio do it live. Yeah. Like uh, Bill O'Reilly sometimes. <laughs> but we're not as advanced as them. We're trying to get <laughs> yeah. better. But, we'll get there someday. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, um, you know, we're in the middle of... <laughs> Hanukkah. <laughs> okay, all right, real quick, real quick, real quick. There is a, a clip going around of Smokey Robinson doing a cameo, the great Motown singer, Smokey Robinson. I've seen the beginning of this. You should have stayed until oh, the end, okay. because you know what, Ian? I'm, well, we can't hear it on this thing. I'll put, it, put in, it in. I'll put it in in post. But uh, you hear Smokey, and he's going on this thing, and somebody has paid... Somebody's mom lived like across the street from Smokey mm. as a kid. Doesn't remember the woman at all, queerly. But he's, he's very sweet and he's very like, uh, you know, well, we, uh, I hear you, you. And he's got the kind of soft Motown singer voice. And he's like, I hear you live, used to live across the street from me in Detroit. And that's great. You know, happy to see you again and, and you know, talk to you again, I'm sure. And, and you know, reconnect and his, all this nice things. And then he gets to the end of this and he's like, and before I go, you know, you're, you're so... <laughs> Your son and your daughter wanted me to wish you a happy Chinook. <laughs> no. Chinook. And he's like, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I have no idea what that is. God <laughs> but, damn it. But happy Chinook to all of you. Happy Chinook. Thank you. So I will, uh, we will close with Chinooka. We will close with Smokey Robinson. And then perhaps Smokey Robinson singing a Christmas carol. I'm sure that exists. Somewhere. Oh, 100%. Uh, but happy Chinooka to oh, all happy of Chinooka. you. Oh, happy Chinooka. Merry Christmas as it comes up. Uh, we should be back with an episode before the new year. Well, mm-hmm. we'll be back with the pre-recorded one before the new year for sure. But, you know, all of that good stuff. And uh, thanks for listening. This ended up being long. Oh, and <laughs> one last thing. If there were uh, audio issues at all through this... I know we had some popping in and out that we're trying to address. I'm going to get buy new tech for the next episode that we do in person. Um, but just bear with us and apologies and we'll blame it on the ghost of Chinooka Pass. So, um, you know, I'll uh, maybe put a thing at the beginning, too, to, to warn people. But, yeah, that's uh, no big deal. I just wanted to give the shout out. So happy Chinooka to all of you. And we'll talk real soon. Chinooka. <laughs> You know you better watch out You better not